0: Thank you for joining The Ones Changing the World, which is India's first future tech meets sustainability podcast. And today I'm delighted and honored to have with me Dr. Ragunath Anand Mashilkar, one of India's most eminent scientists. He's the brain behind inclusive innovation, more from less for more, and Gandhian engineering. Dr. Mashalkar has actively served the government of India by chairing 16 highly empowered Mashalkar committees and has been a member of the scientific advisory council to the prime minister. His contributions to the nation and to science at large have been honored by a plethora of awards, the most significant being the Padma Vibhushan, the Padma Bhushan, the Padma Shri. He is the third Indian engineer to be inducted as a fellow of the Royal Society UK and the first Indian to be elected as a Fellow of National Academy of Inventors US. Currently, Dr. Mashilkar is the President of the Global Research Alliance, Chairperson of the National Innovation Foundation of India and serves on boards of many leading companies. So, Doctor, it's a complete pleasure and honor to have you on the podcast. You have had a fantastical journey, you know. And and, and the best part is, you know, I was going through your website and it seems you came from like a very lower middle class family. And your, your website also says that you studied under street lamps. And, and, you know, the journey from there to becoming a global change maker. I, I would love you to share that and possibly life lessons, which, you, you know, you would want to share with the audience.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Eddie. First of all, it's a great honor, great privilege. Uh, Uh, to be in conversation uh, with you. I've seen uh, the series of podcasts that you have done. They're absolutely outstanding. And it is nice to be counted amongst uh, uh, your podcasters. I think the first and foremost, since you asked about uh, uh, the fact that I came up uh, from humble beginnings, I think the first principle that I learned is uh, that uh, to whom you are born, where you are born, on what day you are born, under what conditions you are born, is not in your hand at all. But what you do with yourself, how you build your destiny, is in your hands. So I think that's the first lesson that I learned. The second lesson is about a powerful equation that I learned. And there is an interesting story about it. There is a discussion on what is the most powerful equation that scientists have developed. So somebody got up and said, uh, you know, Newton's law, force equal to mass into acceleration, f equal to n. Somebody got up and said, no, 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 it is Einstein, e equal to mc squared, you know. Then uh, I was keeping quiet, and then they came to me and said, but you have not said anything. I said, not Newton, not Einstein. The most powerful equation is e equal to f. So they wondered, what is e, what is f? I said, E is education, and F is future. Education is equal to future. That's the biggest lesson that I learned. I had access to education. Now, you would say, because you are a scientist, you can't just propose an equation. You have to prove it. So I will prove it. And there are several proofs. The fact that you are interviewing me itself is a proof, having come from some humble background. And they were real humble. They are not lower middle class family at all. They were not poverty. They were extreme poverty. I was born in a village called Mashel. My father died when I was six. Uh, my mother could hardly read or write. She brought me to Mumbai. She did many jobs to bring me up. Uh, two meals a day was a challenge. Uh, I studied under streetlights. Yes, that is true. I walked barefoot until I was twelve, and there, it was a big, big, big struggle. And uh, uh, having got that, I think uh, the. A breakthrough came when I got a Tata scholarship of 60 rupees per month, uh, which is less than dollar a month. And uh, that was for six years, and that's how I could study. But the interesting part on the proof of that equation is uh, given on 30th of uh, March uh, 2000, where in uh, Rashtrapati bond, uh, that is uh, where the Indian president resides, uh, there was a celebration in terms of national honours and the national honor of Padma Bhushan was given. By whom? By K. R. Narayanan, who was then the president. To whom? To me and Ratan Now, how does that prove the equation? K. R. Narayanan himself was born in a very poor family. Walked 10 to 11 kilometres every day, back and forth. And um, his poor, uh, father and mother were so poor that they could not afford his tuition fee. So he would stand outside the class and take notes. Okay? But he got a breakthrough because he got a Tata scholarship and went on to become the president. I got a breakthrough because I got a Tata scholarship and went on to... And the most interesting thing is that one Tata scholar gave Padnabhushar to another Tata scholar, but at the same time he gave it to Rudan Tata who was uh, the, uh, you know, uh, 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 the father of... I mean, the uh, Uh, head of the family of Tata's. Now, you can just quite clearly see the power of education. Because of the power of education, Kaya Naranth was where he was. Because of the power of education, I was where I was. So I think the second lesson I have learned is the power of education. And that is why I always tell the government that you have to have three priorities. Your priority number one is education, priority number two is education, and priority number three is education. I would say that uh, these are sort of... uh, uh, the critical lesson that i've got of course it is education plus opportunity which is not just education as as we uh, sort of all know so i will just summarize by uh, saying that uh, basically uh, education also gives you the confidence to deal with the world and that also tells you that there are no limits uh, to what you can achieve excepting the limits you put on a sort of uh, yourself uh, that the third lesson and the fourth lesson I would say, because I have grown all along in scarcity, whether I was studying or whether I was doing my research, uh, etc. I did my research in poor India, not uh, uh, the India of today. There was a scarcity. But if you combine scarcity with aspirations, it's a deadly common. So these are the four
0: lessons. There are a lot of people who, who complain that, oh, I don't have this and if I had this, I could have done that. And, and we, I think, waste our time in complaining that, oh, we don't have this and we don't have that. But, you know, the ones who want to do it, I, I think they don't let anything stop themselves and and i think that the word impossible itself i mean you know it's the mindset if you kind of break down the 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 spelling of it you know and you you, how you it depends upon your perspective like i i used to earlier call this podcast i am possible because it's the way you say see things you know if if you're if you do not get you know constrained by boundaries uh, by where you are or what you are and where you come from and you want to go beyond i think you know you can like really go beyond and, and you rightfully pointed out yeah, the equation e equal to f education equal to future i think that's the core uh, uh, today i think the internet is full of education you know there's so much education and you, know? you could be sitting in a rural area or an urban area. You know, there's something called as Massive Open Online Courses, which is MOOCs, which is education available for free. And so I firmly believe that the only thing that stops oneself is the desire and intent. Because if you have the desire and intent and the curiosity to learn more, the internet is there. It's a a teacher. And anybody and everybody can, you know, be what he or she wants to be, you know, because we're living in a fantastic uh, world. So... Thank you for sharing your journey. Now, when I shared your introduction, I mean, I, I, I gave like a very brief introduction, but you know, you have had such a colorful, uh, you know, uh, past. In, in fact, even the present also, you're doing some wonderful, wonderful things. Uh, would you like to briefly kind of highlight your career and, and what's the next big problem that you're working on solving?
1: Well, I uh, was trained as a chemical engineer. I uh did my bachelor's degree in chemical engineering in an institute called UDCT, University Department of Chemical Technology, which has become now an autonomous institution called Institute of Chemical Technology. It has a university status, not that of a department, but a university. And I'm very proud to say that uh, I'm an alumnus of that uh, university and also the chancellor of that university for the last nine years. And I feel great about it. I did my PhD also uh, in chemical engineering there. I was abroad, uh, had a brief stint, and uh, came back under very interesting circumstances uh, because at that time, brain drain was very common. Uh, You went abroad and you never came back. And I came back at the age of 32, where I was doing sort of uh, uh, outstandingly well there. And that itself is an interesting story. I remember the then Director-General of CSIR, Council of Scientific Industrial Research, uh, Dr. Naiduma had come to London. And I got a message from Dr. B.D. Chirk of NCL that I should go and see him. He didn't tell me why I should see him, but he was my guru. I said, you listen to the guru, I went. And uh, honestly, Eddie, when I went, I did not know that I'm going to commit uh, that uh, I will leave everything from there and come back to India at the age of 32. Because Dr. Naiduma actually portrayed the picture of India. And he said, when you become very old, you will come. But young, now, you come back and build India. you know." And, uh, uh, you know, I don't think uh, from here, Eddie. I think from here. I instantly said yes. You know, and called Vaishali, my wife, in the evening. And she, of course, has been all support. She said, let's go back. And I came under very difficult circumstances, 76. We were not $2,000 GDP per capita. We are $100 GDP per capita. And therefore, it was a big struggle to do sort of uh, research, but we built world-class polymer science engineering group. I became the director of National Chemical Laboratory uh, and then became the director general of CSIR, which is a chain of forty laboratories, national laboratories, like National Chemical Laboratory, National Physical Laboratory, uh, National Aeronautical Laboratory, etc. And I was the longest-serving director general of uh, uh, CSIR. And I'm very proud to say, that CSR transformed itself uh, during the time I was the Director-General and uh, Professor Jan Naradikar in his book, Scientific Age, has uh, listed the top 10 achievements of Indian science technology in the 20th century, starting with Ramanujan and Raman and Green Revolution and so on, and the 10th achievement is the CSR transformation. So it was a kind of leadership at the laboratory level, leadership at a uh, national level. That was my uh, uh, journey. And later on, I became the president of Global Research Alliance, which is not just CSR of India, but CSR of Australia, CSR of South Africa, from countries of Germany, of Finland, Denmark, the Netherlands, UKT USA, uh, etc. Et so, this has been my uh, sort of career path. Now, a very important question that you ask, uh, what is it that you are sort of uh, up to, and what is the big big challenge? I believe that there are two big challenges that face the world today. The first is, of course, climate change. And the future is uh, 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 something that we need to really worry about. And that is where all the talk of green energy and green hydrogen and the rest of it, and we'll come back to that later. So that is occupying my attention uh, in some form, and I will tell you about that later. But the other thing that is occupying my attention is inequalities. There are huge inequalities that are a big challenge before the world. The rich have got richer, but the poor have got poorer. And pandemic has made uh, uh, the sort of situation worse because those who are poor have become extremely poor. All right, hundreds and millions of them. And India is absolutely no exception to that. So the challenge, uh, therefore, is that Whatever work we have done to reduce poverty for, uh, let's say, 10 to 15 years have just vanished within 10 to 15 months, I would say. And we are back to square one. So how do you actually reduce these inequalities again? We again can't take 10 to 15 years. We have to do it far. So it is not growth. It is inclusive growth. And it is not inclusive growth. It is accelerated inclusive growth. And for that, My mantra is inclusive innovation. What is inclusive innovation? I defined it as Gandhian engineering at a point in time. You know, Mahatma Gandhi had said that uh, there is every, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, enough for everyone's need, but not for everyone's greed. Or in other words, he had said, use the resources very carefully so that you can keep them for the next generation and the following generation and the following. That is getting more from less, And then he had also said, take the benefits of science to the poorest of the poor, all right? That means getting it for more and more people. So it becomes more from less for more, all right? That became the mantra. That became the Gandhian engineering. And that I've been pursuing relentlessly. I've uh, talked about it in almost 50 uh, cities of uh, the world, by the way, during the last 10 to 12 years. I uttered the words Gandhian engineering for the first time in 2008. In Australia, where I was honored with the fellowship. And that means it is giving access equality despite income inequality. You know, just to give an example, uh, you will see now, I mean, on the other day, I was walking on the road and I saw uh, a woman uh, wash, I mean, uh, cleaning the streets uh, uh, with a broom with one hand, but on the other hand, she had a mobile. Okay, that is, despite being poor, so poor she has access. So, how do you make uh, high technology work uh, for the poor? That is my sort of uh, uh, objective. And that is my big project. Uh, that is where I have created, in my mother's name, Anjani Mashalkar Inclusive Innovation Awards, basically, uh, where we create what is called affordable excellence. Normally, affordable and excellence don't go together, but it is all about making high technology work for the poor. So summarizing, these are the two challenges, climate change I'm involved in that. And increasing inequalities, I'm involved.
0: Lovely, lovely. Both are such huge problems. And obviously, I mean, I want to get into the, the, the climate change part, you know, in depth and talk about your your involvement in it and on how you're working you know with the green hydrogen space but but coming back to i mean to inequalities you know because you stressed on that and i think it's globally i think it's eating up you know i mean the the entire world you know it's not just in india you know the the inequality is like really really growing you know and i think you rightfully pointed out it's getting more and more evident because you know there's those haves who've got everything and there's have nots who, who don't have even the basics you know how do we kind of overcome the challenge it it is it's it's a global challenge which i think you know everybody needs to come together and try to find a a a constructive solution Uh, because technology today i think it's growing rapidly and i think in the next few possibly decades it's going to create Huge and humongous impacts, you know, it's, it's going to completely upend the education industry, possibly democratize education industry, the healthcare industry, the training. And, and, and the list is pretty much, uh, you know, endless of the, po- the benefits that, that the technology is going to do. But on the other side is also that, you know, the scary side of automation. You know, where like uh, artificial intelligence and autonomous vehicles, you know, could possibly, you know, create deep impact, you know, with, with automation. You know, the maybe in the next possibly 30 to 30 years, uh, those truck drivers, starting with America, because obviously it's going to hit over there, it's going to hit India after a certain point of time. You know, those tr- truck dr- drivers are going to lose jobs. There, there are, there are, you know, the, the, these uh, basic, uh, jobs like like the banking industry the guy kind of the people who kind of feed in uh, you know information they're going to lose job because of automation and 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 the list is pretty much endless and so this the the way it's going to impact a that inequality which is already there and with the tech I think it's going to create more more. The inequality is going to get more evident because the ones who understand tech or or who been invested in the, that are going to grow more prosperous, and the ones who don't understand are going to be left out. How do we how do we solve this challenge? What's the roadmap uh, or what's the plan uh, over there to address this huge huge problem?
1: I think the important part Eddie to remember is that. The technological change is not something that is new. It has been happening all over the uh, sort of uh, years, as a matter of fact. And uh, the major difference is in terms of uh, the exponential technology. And by exponential technology, I mean the performance is increasing exponentially, the prices are dropping exponentially, and the change is taking at exponential speed one, two, three. That is the major difference, as a matter of fact. All right. The first, second thing is that history shows that when technology takes away the old jobs, it creates new jobs, all right? Like the banking industry that you talked about, there are new jobs that are being sort of uh, uh, created. In fact, I remember the former education minister, pakaj Jaudekar had come home for a cup of tea, I remember about four or five years ago. And at that time, I gave him a list of 55 new jobs that are going to come, because of the exponential technology comprising big data analytics, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, deep learning, uh, internet of things, blockchain, and what have you, all right? So therefore, what is important now is upskilling people in in those uh, sort of uh, uh, areas. That is uh, going to be the key. The third is, uh, I would say, uh, Indian phenomenon uh, 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 that uh, you are seeing now in terms of digital India actually shows you how the digitalization and technology is helping. For example, you look at uh, uh, the uh, uh, what was called as JAM, Jandanyojana, Yojana, Aadhaar, and Mobile. Okay. Now, Jandan Yojana was a policy. Aadhaar was that identity card, individual identity card, and M was mobile. Okay, The combination of the th- three created bank accounts for the poorest of the poor. And we have a Guinness Book of record having done it in the fastest possible way. So close to four hundred billion accounts have been created in the record. And you can quite clearly see this is bringing empowerment because the money goes directly in wife's account, in a poor housewife's account. When pandemic came, for example, the help reached the poor almost immediately. And that was transformational. Look at the other end. The startups, for example. Okay? Now, what is the issue of startup? You have something called unicorn. Unicorn is a a market cap of a billion dollars, as you know. India, until 2019, was having one unicorn per year. In 2021, it had 44 unicorns, it means from almost one unicorn per week, from one unicorn per year to one unicorn per week. Why? Because of digital access, basically. You know, were transformation. Because what happened was, as far as uh, software was concerned, it became open source software. You didn't have to depend on the windows of this world. As far as storage was concerned, there was cloud very affordable. And as far as data was concerned, thanks to Jio, mobile internet, if you look at four rupees per Jio, four rupees per GB and uh, why is free? So therefore, I have done an analysis of the 116 uh, uh, unicorns that have come up. Can you just believe it, Eddie? Half of them, close to half of them, come from tier three cities, tier two cities and dropouts. Could you imagine that somebody from the interior, from a tier three city, a 27, 28 year old, having a market cap of a billion dollar coming from there? So it has two sides. If you provide access, basically, you can create miracles of the kind that I basically uh, sort of uh, talked about. So people call me a dangerous optimist. I'm very optimistic about the very positive use of uh, these technologies.
0: I mean, I would like to correct myself or possibly maybe, you know, uh, reaffirm that, you know, through all my podcasts, I keep on saying the technology itself is never good or, or, or bad. It's the way we choose to use it, you know, where we choose to use it and how what the output will definitely uh, be the output. So yes, I mean, technology is a, a great, great tool. It is going to create automation. It's going to, you know, create a lot of job loss, but yes, it's also going to create New jobs. And for that, rescaling and upscaling is, is such a such a, a need. And you also pointed out, you know, because of the digital access, you know, and you you the, I, I think the listeners should take this, you know, that those 44, 44 unicorns or 2021, you said most of them came from tier two, tier three cities, and, and some of them were dropouts, you know. So so that's 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 so wonderful that our ecosystem in India is is flourishing we are creating things out of the most expected places you know and, and, and that's surprising and and, and I'm extremely uh, uh, proud that you know there are so many great things happening in India now the education system uh, I mean you, you, you mentioned about the education is equal to future that was the equation now I de- completely double that But somehow India's education system still seems to be caught up in the rote education learning, while most most of the startups are saying that we are not looking at degrees, we are looking at skills. There's entrepreneurs such as Elon Musk and so many others who are saying that what is important is skills, but somehow a mindset of, of parents still push to, you know, or students towards a traditional, okay, you need to be a doctor, you need to be this, 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 wherein the world has completely changed. You rightfully pointed out that there's so many jobs of these, you know, data science, augmented reality, virtual reality, blockchain, and so on and so forth. How do we create an education which is tuned into the future? How do we create a narrative or, or make the future understand, the next gen understand the benefits of, uh, you know, up, reskill, upskilling, being, uh, you know, in tune with the future, leveraging augmented reality, virtual reality, metaverse, and also a traditional, not missing out, you know, not just going extreme towards the technology, but leveraging the both to create a better, what, what would be your suggestions uh, on that?
1: Yeah, I think uh, this is a very, very important question because if education is, let us just focus on education. There are three things of education. The first is right to education. The second is right way of education. And third is right education. Let me explain each one of them. Right to education. You know, we had uh, this in 2002, we launched this Sarva Shiksha Abhiyan, which means every child must get access to education, which is wonderful. Okay. But now what has happened is that during pandemic, 100 million children went out of school in 100 days. And then you had that uh, digital deprivation where one third of them did not have uh, digital access. Right. So, right to education has become digital right to education. That means every child must be empowered. You know, like I said, Tata's gave me six rupees per month and that was fine. In the old days. But if they give me 60 rupees per month, but I don't have digital access, I will not have access to education. That's the first. The second point is right way of education. Right way of education is not going to be just digital education. It's not going to be just physical education. It's going to be digital education. That means part physical and part digital. Why do I say that? Education is, after all, learning, doing, and being. Learning, you can partly do through the digital access. You talked about so many courses and uh, this thing, etc. on the internet, fine. But there is a doing part of it, doing by your hand. You can't uh, substitute that. And there is a being part of it, being a part of the society, being a human. After all, education is all about creating sort of a human with empathy, for example, emotional intelligence, uh, left brain and right brain, whole brain. and Uh, so on and so forth, being a part of the society. And that requires social interactions. So it cannot be digital, it cannot be physical. It is going to be astute mix of that, all right? So I talked about right to education. I talked about right way of education, where pedagogies have to change now. It is not learning by rote, but learning by doing. It's not learning by doing, like what teacher tells you, step one, two, three, four, but learning by creating yourself. And it's not just learning by creating, it is learning by co-creating. We have to learn. It is not man versus machine, it is man and machine. It's not robots, it is cobots. You get my point? So therefore, learning by rote to learning by doing to learning by creating to learning by co-creating. I think that's uh, uh, basically uh, the issue. And experiential learning is a very important sort of part of it. These are the fundamental changes that we have to have. And most importantly, Finally, education has to be for problem solving, okay? We have to teach students not to be a part of a problem, but part of a solution. In fact, I'm on the Queen Elizabeth Prize of Engineering, which is a million pound prize, which is a Nobel Prize in Engineering. And they had interviewed me, what branch of engineering do you think will be most important, electrical, mechanical, chemical, and so on? Then I got on their board. And I remember I said, none of that solution engineer, all right? So we have to create solution engineers that given problem, anything in the society, with regard to climate, with regard to whatever sort of uh, you have solution or uh, a social conflict or whatever, how do you sort of find a solution? So these are actually the changes that uh, we must uh, basically uh, realize, not going to the extremes as you rightly pointed out, but uh, a, a, um, a good blend of, uh, uh, the two, that's what is going to happen.
0: You have been the, the director general for CSIR. Uh, what do you see the role of science technology to creating a better uh, a, a India? And especially, I mean, you know, there seems to be like a, uh, a low support, you know, when when it comes to deep tech uh, investment, you know. Uh, but if if you see like nations like America and China, the reason they have become these global tech su- superpowers uh, is because they foster innovation. And, and if we believe that innovation is the key to our future, that means you know we need to support our deep tech. What do you think can be done to change that and push that ecosystem?
1: Yes, I, I would say that uh, uh, if you look at the digital transformation of India itself, uh, deep tech has played a very major role in in, in that particular transformation. And uh, see, for example, on 21st July, uh, you know there is what is called as the Geo Institute. I happen to be chancellor, and we are starting master degree courses on uh, uh, big data analytics and artificial intelligence, as well as digital marketing uh, and. Uh, uh, so, sorry, digital media and marketing communications, for example. We are looking at uh, sort of creating a sort of deep tech manpower, and that is so uh, sort of across the country. So that definitely is that We are not doing with uh, as much speed as, for example, China. I must admit that. For example, AI is not there to the school children, basically, you know, school-going children. I think we need to sort of double up that. That's number one. Number two, as far as your fundamental question in terms of the role of science, technology and innovation in building a better India, I think uh, we could not have got a better answer than during the pandemic. Because 2020, people look at it as a, a sort of a year of pandemic. I look at it as a year of Indian science. Remember, when pandemic came, we did not have PPs, all right? Person protection equipment. Very important, Dr. China. We did not have diagnostics. We're importing from China. We did not have therapeutics, basically. The are MDC of this world. We did not have vaccines. And today we have everything, basically. Our own vaccine, as we know. Our vaccine is our, our sort of own vaccine. Our therapeutics. We created some of the cheapest therapeutics in the world. We are the biggest suppliers of, of, of these uh, uh, sort of uh, to the world. So therefore, the strong base that has been built up right from time of uh, independent investment that have been made, the vaccine did not come just like that by somebody snapped a finger. I mean, for example, when Krishna Ella uh, uh, created co vaccine, it was not that overnight he created it. It was a deep investment that were done for a number of years that happened. And country is realizing the benefit of having sort of invested that. So if you look at all the revolutions that have taken place, whether it was green revolution in agriculture, uh, whether it was white revolution, uh, whether uh, it was great revolution or even, I mean, if you look at Indian technology, for example, you know, we grew in denial-driven innovation region. Okay? We didn't have supercomputer. We begged uh, US. They did not give it. We said, thank you very much. We created Param supercomputers so series. And then the same crave we were denied. They wanted to come and set us off, For example, you look at uh, the, the defense, for example. We have developed missiles, rocket systems, uh, uh, remotely piloted vehicles, light combat aircraft, all on our own. Nuclear energy. We are again uh, sort of denied the entire range of technologies. You know. So what is very important to realize, is, uh, You know, our honorable prime minister talks about Atmanirbhar Bharat now we can see the importance of that atmanirbhar uh, uh, sort of bharat because not that only uh, these technologies will be denied even civilian technologies are sort of denied i have seen in my own long career uh, how alpha olefin et etc they were all civilian technologies they were and india has demonstrated that particular capacity so i would say from the national security point of view whether it is health whether it is food uh, whether it is uh, military security, uh, et cetera, et cetera. India has done uh, uh, sort of a sprout in terms of uh, uh, creating these uh, technologies. Can we do it better? Certainly. Can we put in more? Certainly. Can we move faster? Certainly. There is no question about it.
0: Coming back to the big, big, big question, the climate change, you know, because you said that you're working on climate change. So I think in 1972, MIT had created this report. Of, they had created this algorithm where they took all, all data of, you know, the pollution data uh, and other global uh, data. And they uh, they created a, a, a algorithm. And the, the prediction was that through that algorithm that around 2050, there will be a global catastrophic event because of uh, uh, a consumption, a, 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 a senseless consumption with no conservation uh, there in place. The head of KPMG Sustainability took the same report, the same uh, algorithm, it's, it's, it's the world uh, model. It, they fed in the, the recent data The uh, and, and according to their uh, analysis, It seems we are bang on target of, you know, not even 2050, possibly 2040 of a complete uh, catastrophic uh, climate uh, problem because of a mindless uh, consumption without any consumption. India obviously is going to be hit very, very bad because there was another report uh, that out of the 50 polluted cities in the world, the most polluted cities in the world, 35 happens to be in India. You mentioned in the beginning of the conversation that ch- uh, the climate change I- is right there up I- in your mind and that is what you are looking at. How do you, how do you solve this uh, environmental threat that India is facing?
1: Yes, uh, that's an excellent question. You know, our big challenge is the following. It is doing development without destruction. Okay. Now, how do you balance that out? That means uh, you have to ensure that you move towards the future while maintaining growth, okay? Because we don't have the luxury like the rest of the world. Uh, Who grew and now they are developing problem. We are growing and therefore we require more energy, okay? Not less, basically. And therefore, while using that, how do we move transition to green technology? and green energy. That is our challenge. Because we can't do without energy, we require several fold more energy than we do. And I'm very happy. I think our visionary Prime Minister has already uh, set the ball rolling by giving the kind of targets and giving the promises uh, in terms of uh, when India will be net zero and so on and so forth. Targets have been set up for 2030, etc. Not uh, long distance, where nobody's accountable, but short distance. And I'm very happy to see that we are right on target, very frankly, if you ask me. I've looked at uh, the government policies. I've looked at the National Hydrogen Mission, for example, and so on and so forth. But uh, equally importantly, I'm very much involved uh, with now the biggest player in green hydrogen in the country, and that is Reliance. I've been on the board of Reliance from 2007, basically a long time. And I've been chairman of their... New, uh, you know, I mean, uh, new energy council as it is called, with seven experts that uh, Mukesh Ambani, the chairman has uh, created, and he has set himself a, a heavy target in terms of multi-billion-dollar investments and creating gigafactories end-to-end integration. And when I say integration, it is not getting solar panels from China by it is starting with sand, converting into silicon, creating silicon vapors all the systems, creating solar uh, 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 panels and electricity therefrom, and then splitting water by using that electricity to create green hydrogen. And the kind of targets he has set up are sort of phenomenal. You know what are the targets? One, one, one. Nobody in the world has put it up. You know what is one, one, one? One kilogram of green hydrogen for $1 within one decade. Can you just imagine? It is sort of heading. And people wonder whether you will be able to do that. But it's the same gentleman who gave four rupees per GB and was free and had half a billion customers uh, sort of using it. So it is like a geofication, if you like. That means affordable excellence, getting more from less for more and more people for, for, for a billion people. Not only that, uh, if you go to Asia Economic uh, Dialogue uh, that was held in February, uh, and that is on the web uh, uh, and and uh, i can send you the link uh, there is a conversation between me and him in the opening session by the way where he actually talks about uh, in a very interesting way you know he has a way of simplifying he talks about look what is the raw material sun is there water is there we can create hydrogen what was missing was affordable technology now we have the affordable technology so why can't we uh, sort of uh, create that and he projects that within 20 years' time, India will be able to export half a trillion dollar worth new energy to the rest of the world. Now, when he says something, you have to seriously think about it. So I, I think the main point I'm trying to make here is that from the government policy standpoint, etc., there are sort of, uh, sort of aggressive uh, thinking uh, that is going on. I love the uh, just now the Niti has put together the new document, uh, facilitating sort of uh, the uh, of, uh, sort of uh, creation of new technologies, etc., etc., and also from corporate world, there are sort of aspirational goals of this kind of becoming world leader. Because see, the basic issue is that as far as India is concerned, what does it specialize? Affordable excellence. 10x, ten x, ten times better, ten times cheaper. That is our specialty, isn't it? So creating affordable green hydrogen at the lowest cost of the highest quality, which we can export is the target that has been sort of set up. And like we have done in other cases, we should be able to do that. That's the second point. The third point is that, if you look at the national laboratory systems, the corporates and others, et cetera, we are ready with technologies. I don't know how many of you will know that as far as fuel cells are concerned, because fuel cells are the ones who generate electricity by using uh, a sort of hydrogen. And for that, you require uh, what are called as fuel cells, proton-exchange membrane-based fuel cells. Now, these are all important technologies. We said no. When I created the New Millennium Indian Technology Leadership Initiative, Leadership in Capital World in 2000, in 2002, when nobody talked about hydrogen, we went on to the program of fuel cell. And what is the benefit today? KPIT technologies, National Chemical Laboratory, Central Electrochemical Research Institute has created our own indigenous fuel cell, which is doing now thousands of kilometers. The buses are running right away. So we'll have our own uh, technology, which will be even sort of exportable, because it belongs to the affordable excellence class. So some in substance is, whether it is talent, whether it is technology, we must have trust in our ability sort of to deal with this problem. That's basic issue.
0: That, thank you thank you sir really really appreciate you taking time being part of the podcast sharing your insights and you're doing so many awesome things you know uh i i wish i mean our future generation shares you, you know your strength your curiosity your and, and you know the the dedication of, of bringing science technology and innovation to the the, the forefront uh, i i I I had a lovely time chatting with you, and I can feel your energy and enthusiasm. Uh, you, you're still like like a child, you know. And I uh, know. your your advice to the youngster. Yeah. Yes. yes. So I,
1: they are called five mantras. Uh All right. And uh, any interview that I give, any lecture that I give, I don't uh, uh, sort of I make sure that I give these five. So very quickly, let me tell you what are those five martial mantras for my. Uh, the, the young generation which will determine your future. The very first is, aspirations are your possibilities. So keep them high. Okay? If you aim at Everest, at least you will reach Kanchan Ganga. But if you aim at Kanchan Ganga, you will be where you are. Okay? So that is first. The second is, particularly for the young generation, you know, they like instant coffee, they want instant success. I am sorry. It is hard work. There is no substitute to hard work. I'll be turning 80 now on 1st January, but I can tell you I'm doing 24 into 7 day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and I'll do till the end of my life. The only suggestion to the, uh, my, my young friends is work hard in silence. Let success make all the noise. The third one is my three Ps, purpose, perseverance, and passion. You have to have a big purpose, not only for yourself, The North Star, as we say, but for our society, for our nation. And perseverance. Winners are never quitters. Quitters are never winners. It is always too early to give up. And do it with passion. That's uh, uh, the third one. The fourth is doors. You keep on knocking on the doors of opportunity. They don't open. All right. You create your own doors. Like I did when I was at NCL. I did not get my equipment. I said, forget about it. I created my own door and uh, went into modeling and simulation. Winning uh, the Botanical Prize. Had I waited just like that, because I'm not getting any equipment, what would have? And the last one, please remember, there is no limit to human endurance. There is no limit to human achievement. There is no limit to human imagination, excepting the limit you put on yourself. And therefore, whatever you achieve, basically, remember the ladder of excellence is limitless. All right, and therefore. Whatever you achieve, I would simply say, you have to say to yourself, my best is yet to come. So every day in the morning, my last message is, get up in the morning, say my best is yet to come. Maybe today is the day. And my best is yet to come, not just for me, but for my society, for my nation. And keep on doing it, whether you are 18, like young people, or like 80, which I will be, till the last day, you have to do that. And if all Indians... Do it. 1.4 billion Indians do that every day. What a great nation we will have! Right in the corner of nations, we'll occupy the space which we know we are always.
0: Thank you, sir, for taking time and being part of the humble podcast. It was a completely enriching and learning experience from for me. Especially these these five profound uh, advice for everyone. You know, I take each of them, uh, and I hope that my listeners do that. You know, because if they do that, they take that and leverage it for themselves. They can create business better businesses and also become better human beings. You know, because I think we we always set limitations, and I guess when we go beyond that, we 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 become more and i I guess you are a living example for that you know somebody who's come from an abject poverty to you know becoming india's most eminent scientist and being part of some of the the most transformational changes here in india you are a living example of that i think your journey is just beginning you know because you have taken the two biggest challenge uh, of what India faces, you know, climate change and accelerated inclusive growth. And and I'm sure through you, uh, your partnership with Reliance and you know, looking at green hydrogen, you will be creating a huge transformation over there. And also through inclusive, uh, the accelerated inclusive growth, you know, through the tech, democratizing it, you know, for leveraging for education. I, I, I wish you the very best. Please, please keep on doing what, what you, what are you doing? Because we need need more leaders uh, you know uh, uh, such as yourself who are pushing the boundaries of possibilities and and uh, working on creating a better India so really appreciate you taking time being part of the podcast to my listeners if you like what you see and here then please press the subscribe button until next time see you guys bye-bye thank you thank you sir really appreciate this